about a mile beforehand, I actually stopped. And I had this moment where I didn't want to finish. I don't know whether it was I didn't want to finish. I wanted to keep hiking, even though our bodies were, were absolutely ready to stop. But mentally, I didn't want to get back into the real world and get back and do real things. I just, it was so simple. It was sleep, hike, eat, eat and drink, same again. That was what we did. And we saw all this beautiful scenery. And I think I just didn't want to let that go. This is the Hard as Nails podcast. My name is Kevin and it's great to have you back for our 18th episode, which is brought to you by Outsider.ie, Islands Adventure Magazine, and supported by Follow the Camino, the original walking holiday experts. Have you always wanted to tick the Camino de Santiago off your bucket list? Well, for over a decade, Follow the Camino has been helping pilgrims to walk, cycle, or horse ride along the famous Camino de Santiago pilgrimage routes in Spain. They create a custom itinerary that includes airport transfers, the very best accommodation, as well as meals and luggage transfers, so that all you have to do is enjoy your Spanish adventure to the fullest. Take that first step now. Go visit www.followthecamino.com. Follow the Camino, your Camino, your way. Now, Many of us, I'm sure, enjoy a good hike now and then, you know, just a few kilometers to get in touch with the outdoors and uh, connect a bit with nature. Well, our guest eats these little walks for breakfast as she is an ultra hiker and the first woman ever to walk the Pacific Crest Trail from the borders of Mexico to Canada and back again non-stop. Now if you've seen the movie Wild starring Reese Witherspoon, her character walks a portion of this 2,650 mile route but only in the one direction just to give you a better understanding. Our guest also recently did the Continental Divide Trail and she joins us now to chat about uh, this adventure and the PCT. It's Olive McGloin. Olive, thank you for joining us on the Hard as Nails podcast. It's an incredible honor to have you share some of your experiences with us. Yeah, morning, Kevin. Thanks certainly for the invite. Um, but I'm still not sure that actually I should be on the same pod- podcast channel of the likes of Owen Keith or Mark Bowman. <laughs> After all, I was just putting one foot in front of the other. No, you most certainly deserve to be on the same list as them. Are you putting one foot in front of the other for over 5,000 miles certainly qualifies you for that. Now, Olive, before we get to the PCT, this is first chat about hiking and uh, your background in it. So one would say it's in your DNA. I mean, just at two and a half years old, you were already climbing your first mountain. What is it about mountain climbing and being an ultra hiker that you enjoy the most and nearly 50 years later you're still hooked i think i just like being outdoors and every weekend my dad used to take us not very far away but to some very small hill from there it was just something that i liked doing i like being outside i don't like sitting still Mm -hmm. and when we got the opportunity back in 2005 to have a year off we decided to do the appalachian trail and that was i think what turned us from just the regular five to ten mile hikes into something that mm. you know it just has you out there for that bit mm. longer because there's a big difference big going out even for a weekend and being out and actually not sure when you're going to finish but it's it's not days it's not weeks it's actually months yeah well i'm sure what makes these hikes and adventures that much more special and memorable oliver's is having your husband daryl with you by your side who influences who in this ultra hiking way of life of yours uh 
I'm not really sure. Um, I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Well, then to put it this way, then, Olive, when you first met Daryl, was he into uh, long distance walking and hiking as much as you were? Uh, no, he wasn't. And certainly at that point, um, I hadn't or I didn't have the opportunity to, to do it. I think we kind of started to get back into it when a group of my family went to hike Kilimanjaro. And then after that, we just started doing kind of a little bit longer walks, hiked in Morocco and, and things like that. And it just one thing, you know, took after the other. We always have had a large dog that's needed quite a bit of exercise. So we were used to taking him out for, you know, 10 or 14 miles most days mm. just to satisfy him. And then he would sleep all afternoon. So <laughs> we then obviously just had to make the opportunities for ourselves when we decided that we wanted to go and do these long distance trails. And, mm. you know, that's, all part of it is you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to make the opportunities for yourself because nobody's going to make them for you. Yeah, that's so true. Well, interestingly, Olive, you are a trained and qualified air traffic controller, both you and Daryl, actually. Does this experience come in handy at all when you are out there hiking for weeks and months on end? I think it does because we've been used to that routine for 25 plus years Mm -hmm. and especially when you're presented yourself with a challenge or something happens you can't just run away from it you have to decide how you're going to get through it so you have a plan we had a plan to start it's very fluid it just is a framework Mm. and it changed it changed daily you know it sometimes it didn't you know it would take a week for you to change it but all the time certainly on the the pct we would be trying to chip away and 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 gain an extra couple of miles each day so it would i would reset our resupply points mm. but definitely as a, as a challenge was presented it to yourself you're responsible for you we got ourselves there mm-hmm. there isn't anybody that was going to get us out of it you know we just had to adjust to it so that was definitely what we did all the time mm. uh, when we were working mm. Well, let's now jump to the 25th of April 2014, a date you will know well, Olive. You and Daryl, you set off on what's considered one of the most physically demanding tracks on the planet, the Pacific Crest Trail. Now, a through-hike of the trail is a true feat of determination and fitness, but to actually complete the trail both ways, non-stop or yo-yo, it's as the expression is known, is almost unheard of. If I'm not mistaken, only three people in history have successfully done this you being one of them. Now, you have Daryl to thank uh, in many ways for this idea. It's a bit of a sneaky story of how this uh, came about. Could you share it with our listeners? The PCT idea became because we had been trying after a hike in 2005 of the the, uh, AT, we'd been trying to get time off to do it and they kept offering us time off in the winter, which wouldn't really work. Mm -hmm. And to satisfy ourselves one spring, we decided to do about 400 miles of the PCT and it was during that we were sitting down at a cafe diner and this quite famous um, long distance ultra hiker was sitting there and he just started to say, oh, he was coming back next next spring with his partner and she was going to yo-yo the they were going to yo-yo the trail and she'd be the first woman to do so and that just blew me away i sat there thinking man that's just fantastic wow i'd love to have that opportunity to have the time to do that and i kind of didn't think about it anymore until we were on the flight back a couple of weeks later and my husband just looked at me and said we're going to do that and you're going to be the first woman to do it and i do like a challenge so Mm. you know 
once it's put in front of me, I do like to finish it. Mm. Wow, incredible. And that idea was the start of something incredible. What are some of the sacrifices, though, Olive, both you and Daryl had to make in order to make this dream of yo-yoing the PCT a reality? Well, first of all, my husband had to give up a promotion and work because we wanted to do it. I had got the time, convinced them to give me the time off, mm-hmm. which took a number of years. Yeah. Uh, sold our house, put everything in storage, got rid of stuff, and then it was trying to train for the hike. The only way to do it is to actually pack on and go outdoor, outdoors and hike. There's no real way to train for it, but we tried to do this the winter beforehand, um, in between working, after work, sometimes at night time. I'm sure our neighbours thought we were crazy. Mm-hmm. You've got to make the opportunities for yourself. And then the hardest thing to do is actually to get yourself there on day one mm-hmm. and stand at the, the start line. Um, take that first step. And then the easiest thing afterwards is to stop. There's so many things that the trial will throw at you mm-hmm. to encourage you to sit down, take that rest. We'd be in town and or everybody else would be taking an extra half day or a full day. And we just knew that we couldn't afford to do that. We had to keep going. We had mm-hmm. to get to Canada by roughly a certain date to be able to turn around and walk back and make sure that we weren't walking in the winter um, mm-hmm. in the Sierras. So you are, it's just a constant pressure. You're, yeah. you're trying to do it, and it just seems that every time you're potentially giving up something because you're not having that extra line, that extra 10 minutes in the morning in your tent or if you're cowboying, turns into a half a mile and you know it's that half a mile every day you could easily lose two miles a day by making decisions to rest a little bit extra but the course of nearly 200 miles that's mm. 200 days that's 400 miles mm-hmm. so you know that's that would have meant that we couldn't actually do it we would have still been up in canada a month yeah. after from what you're saying all of these time constraints did they influence your experience at all did it detract from it in any way no it was it was a challenge it was you know it was it was there it was presented to us we knew we had to do it all i had to go on was the two previous guys who had done it and the the, their initial failures or certainly the first guy to do it and his initial failures to get there so i knew that this was where i needed to work at Mm -hmm. um and within the first two weeks the way we had been hiking we knew we could do this. We'd already, I think, taken a day and a half out of what our schedule was. Now, we knew we had days set in there that things would go wrong, there would be extra snow days and Mm -hmm. stuff. But while we were hiking, you know, we were just trying, you know, to get as close to the next resupply point. But saying that, we didn't miss out on anything because you're walking at three, four miles an hour. What's that? I'm trying to change into kilometers, five to Mm -hmm. six and a half kilometers per hour. Mm -hmm. And this beauty, everything is just rolling to you. And you stand up on some of those ridge lines, and you can look forward to where you're going to be. But you can look back and say, "Oh my God, we we were over there in five days." Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it, we didn't miss out certainly on anything in the scenery. I know some people say when you move too fast, you you don't get to experience it. But you are you're out there, you're living it, you're hiking for 14, 17 hours a day. You are just immersed in mm-hmm. every in, in you're living in that moment. And it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Well, you and Daryl experienced so many different contrasting conditions from you know, the desert to mountain plains, deep snow, ice, uh, water, even on tarmac roads in some points. Firstly, how did you prepare for these radical changes in, in the landscape? And secondly, which of the terrains was the most challenging to get through? I think you welcome to change in it, but 
the tarmac roads were never good on your feet because it's just they wear on you. It's it's that constant pounding and it doesn't undulate. Where you're walking on terrain that is, is different, it's much easier to walk on it. You just don't feel it resonating up through your bones. The It was a challenge and you just looked at it and was like, okay, I've got to do this now, you know. Mm-hmm. So that certainly the the snow and the ice, um, well, no, first of all, we were in the desert and that, you know, we were sandblasted, cacti were sticking in you, mm-hmm. you, you, you would, it was so windy at nighttime that literally, you know, you'd have gran- grains of sand everywhere in your hair, in your eyes, and we wouldn't, we mainly cowboyed, so that's not putting the tent up. Mm-hmm. So, you, yeah, you'd wake up in the morning, it was just kind of sand and dust everywhere. Uh, the snow, it's, once it starts melting, you start post-time, you would slip down into the snow mm-hmm. up to your waist. And it can, it's a huge effort to try and climb back out of there and not immediately take another step and fall back in again. So we where we had cuts from the snow, because the ice level on the top would just rip your skin off. Mm-hmm. So I think I had a scar that I kept the scab off for five weeks so you know I look down at it now and I see it and I'm thinking yeah I've got that from the PCT mm-hmm. um, I think we had two one particular day as we were leaving uh, the Sierras quite far north mm-hmm. we hadn't had snow for most of the day and I just turned around and remember shouting I think we're done with the snow <laughs> and about five hours later I arrested myself as I started to come off the side of a mountain so mm-hmm. it's um, yeah you, you've, you've, it's, it's challenging but as I said earlier on we put ourselves there. Mm. We just have to figure out how to get out of it. It's not like mm. I can turn around and stop or I can call somebody to help me. Mm. Uh, you just have to. You just have to keep going. Yeah. Well, these changes in surfaces, as well as climate, altitude, temperature. How do you pack for a journey like this when you've got to take into account all these variances, and you obviously need to pack light on all of our little mini hikes or tracks we do beforehand? We were testing out our gear, and I think the the thing you really have to think about is trying to to have one item do at least two things. So, for instance, our rain gear, we obviously used in the rain, we used it in the snow, we used it in the wind to try and keep you warm. Mm -hmm. But what we didn't realize that it was most useful for that year was to stop the mosquitoes biting us. Because normally, on a normal PPT year hike, you'd have maybe 400 miles of mosquitoes, Mm -hmm. but they'd had late snow in Oregon, and Washington State that year. So we actually had mosquitoes for about 1,200 miles. And you would be sweating, but for your sanity, you had to walk in your rain gear just to stop them biting you. I think I had, I have a photograph, I have about 100 mosquito bites on the back of my shoulder where they got in under my, my backpack and they were just eating me. So yeah, it's trying to make sure that everything has a dual purpose. Our hiking poles that we use, from this crazy woman in the Lake District. She's in her 80s and she makes them and she didn't even want to sell out to, to Leckie, but they're really useful. They actually have a handle that's turned 45 degrees. Mm. So we actually use that. It's not an ice axe. It's not even an ice tool, but when you compress it down, that was the, they were the things that helped me when I was arresting myself in the snow. Mm. And they also are our tent structure. So they, you know, that's used for stability, the getting through water, um, hiking normally our tent and as I said using it as uh, as a nice tool it's if every time you go out and walk on a hike beforehand if you have things in your pack that you didn't use mm-hmm. you really have to think do I need them so mm-hmm. that's what we did we tried to strip down everything as much as we could we, we were light but not 
stupid light. Mm-hmm. I think you have to accept that you're going to be uncomfortable and it's, you accept what level of comfort that you're going to have. It's, if I don't take this, it's maybe 200 grams. That means I can carry 200 grams of extra food per day, mm-hmm. every day. And that's what it comes down to. Your, you want to swap something out and put food back, food in. Mm. Wow, fascinating. So what then was the most valuable piece of equipment, uh, Olive, that you just simply could not do without? I think on the PCT it was probably our umbrellas hmm. because we use them in the desert for to shade us from the sun. Mm-hmm. If we were cowboying at night, especially because it seems to be really windy down there and that, that first 700 miles in the desert, we would use them to position to stop some of the dust and dirt blowing over us. Uh, obviously, we use them to hike in the snow and hiking in the rain when it's 30 degrees. It's just miserable if you're hiking in rain gear. So having that, and we, my husband, Chimp, had, had rigged it so it would actually sit on our hiking pole, mm. or, sorry, on our backpacks on one side. So we could still use a hiking pole and you can just breathe. And it's just that little bit of sanity that you're not, there's not a sauna going on from the inside and the outside. <laughs> the simple umbrella with so many uh, different uses. Now, 60% of the trail, all of it's simply wilderness, which is why it's so challenging. And just from some of the videos I've watched, it looks unbelievable. And to make it that much more difficult, there are those moments when you have no phone coverage, no GPS unit, no safety beacon. Did that vulnerability freak you out at all at any level? No, I think there's a beauty in actually, especially today, where you're not contactable. Mm-hmm. You don't have access to check something. And it's it's just nice that you're out there. You're out there in the wild. You're out there listening to the sounds, the birds, the animals, everything else. You really feel that, start to believe that actually that's where you belong. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I was very comfortable with it. I don't remember at any point thinking, I wish I had, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. You know, we were, it was... You didn't need it. You know, all the entertainment, you just had to open your eyes and look around you. We had, uh, we came across a rattlesnake one day, or mm-hmm. no, it was just a regular snake, I think. Mm-hmm. And we stood there and we realized the snake's not eating the chipmunk. The chipmunk is trying to eat the snake. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so I didn't know it was a thing afterwards. I think we went and looked at it online. And yes, there were lots of photographs and videos of people doing it. But wow. no, I, I don't. And you don't have, especially in those hairier moments, you don't really have time to phone a friend and say this is what's happening or for help. You just have to kind of get on with it. But I, mm. I didn't, I didn't feel like we needed it. Um, probably if we did need it, I may, maybe wouldn't have been able even to get to get to it. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, it's I, I certainly it was useful for taking photographs mm-hmm. and videos, but didn't need it to to connect to the world as people would mm. say now. Wow. So now on August 3rd, 2014, Olive, the two of you, you reach Canada and immediately you turn around and you start walking back to Mexico. How do you prepare yourself mentally to keep going when you know you're only halfway and you already know that your body, what it's been through in the last three and a half months? Well, the the, the official halfway point, which is in the middle because the trail keeps moving all the time, at uh-huh. that structure... We took photographs and we said to ourselves, we're a quarter of the way. So we kept telling ourselves, unlike everybody else, that was not our destination Mm -hmm. to get to the Canadian border. But there was a huge pull. It was, you could step across the border and it's eight miles into Manning State Park where there's food, a bed, 
hot water, mm. you know, running tap, cold water, beer, anything else, and then you could hitch probably to Vancouver in, in a number of hours. Mm. So there definitely was an attraction, but we had 40, 50 minutes, I think, of celebrating with some of our electrolyte mixed drink and I think a couple of small vodkas or something, and then we, we turned around, and the minute we did, I just said, that's it. We've got less in front of us than we have behind. Mm. So that... Uh, and then because we knew the trail and we'd been on it, mm. it felt like we were racing. We were really now going to enjoy the journey backwards. Mm. And in that first in that first six weeks going southbound, we were meeting all these people who we had overtaken and they had said to us, why are you going so fast? You know, and we had come up with a number of excuses that we only had a 90-day visa and, and stuff like that because we really want to tell them that, oh, yeah, these three Europeans are coming over and, you know, they've, mm. they're going to do this because it's it's and i think actually only this week i've realized how difficult it was and i think i've allowed myself to accept that mm. um because it didn't at the time you don't feel that you you're just relishing mm. being out there hiking and your body it just becomes the normal daily routine your body okay you want me to get up at five o'clock in the morning you want me to walk up till nine o'clock and your body, although it's in pain, it really wants to do that, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. we're bipeds. I don't think we're supposed to be sitting on our butts. It's, uh, it, it's and your endorphins, serotonin, everything is, is just pushing you forward to continue to do that. Yes, it's. I think you're probably going to be a little bit crazy to do it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, we just, we really enjoyed that when we turned around. Mm-hmm. But certainly the would, the, it would have been very easy for us to keep going, just to get thumbs down and mm-hmm. end up in a, in a hot tub somewhere in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Olive, what makes your story that much more incredible is that after reaching Canada, Daryl injured himself quite badly and he was forced to abandon the second leg. You were faced with a bit of a dilemma, either stay with your husband or go on alone. How difficult was that decision to make and, and what helped you choose to keep on going? He missed out 450 miles. He got back on with me mm-hmm. in California. Um, mm-hmm. So I... We were hiking for th- about three days, and I couldn't figure out why we were losing time. And I'm thinking, why are we losing a half a mile here and a half a mile there? And then he got up in front of me and hiked, and I said, what have you done? <laughs> so, you know, I, I, it was obvious then that mm. this wasn't going to work. And I immediately thought, okay, I'm disappointed. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I don't, we don't have to be back and work for, for three months. Our friends in Hawaii, he had kept telling us to come and visit them, and you know, we, I think we had to walk for half a day and then get onto some random trails to try and get off the trail. And all the time I was thinking, making plans about what we were going to do. Mm. However, in my husband's head, he was thinking, oh, oh, my God, you know, we've got this far. I really want her to kind of keep going on. So he just said, if I get a car and try and get some treatment, can you hike alone? And I thought, well, I can only try, mm-hmm. you know, so... And that's what we did. And and for two weeks, pretty much through the whole of Oregon, I was hiking alone. And I know that he was worried about me and I was worried about him as to how badly he was injured. And should I be doing this? Should I not be there, you know, with him? But I couldn't believe so many of the other hikers and people we hadn't even hiked were contacting us and were offering to hike through the Sierras with me Mm -hmm. because all these people now were willing me on to do it mm. so that was you know i was just blown away by by that mm. and then he we said look and i said you know if you if you're going to get back on let's get back on at florida and or sorry in, in um california and if 
if you can't, you can't, well, you know, maybe we'll just finish. Mm-hmm. And so he did and he struggled and we had, it was a time management thing and he was in a lot of pain and I had bought what I thought were the painkillers he was taking and he had bought his own supply unbeknownst to me and was loading up himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, it was difficult watching him. I could see him struggling, mm-hmm. and but he was determined that he knew how strong I was and he knew that we had this. It was all we had to do was kind of get out of the Sierra South Bend and, mm-hmm. you know, then the rest of it has been easy going basically all the way downhill to the Mexican border. Yeah, wow. It's absolutely incredible story, that part of it. Though. And some other interesting encounters you had, uh, Olive, you came face to face with a, a brown bear on one occasion. There were obviously some rattlesnakes, as you mentioned, even wild cats to name others. How do you prevent yourself from fearing the worst? Because if it's not the climate and the terrain that could kill you, the wildlife will surely have a go. Yeah, again, it was, you obviously have that moment where you can feel your heart's about to jump out of you. But, you know, it's you have to have a huge respect for the mountains, the weather and the animals. Look, it's, that's that's their territory. We live, That's where they live. So you have to respect it. Um, certainly, the moments where these two little baby cubs jumped out of the tree, literally beside us, we the first thing you think about is, oh, that's so cute. Mm. And then you think, holy shit, where's mom? You know. Mm-hmm. And and we walked for five, you know, five or, or, or ten minutes, very conscious that mom was probably on the trail because they're not stupid. They the tra- the mountain is all over the place and it's rough and rugged mm. and you can tell from the amount of scat all over the trail that they use it that mm. you know they use it it's their pathway so we we kept going i think for about because we were about to camp or look for a camp at that point i think we walked for nearly 40 minutes afterwards to make sure that we were a little bit further away from her not to encourage her to come and look for us mm. um the i think the scariest moment that we had was we were i think this was on our return leg so we were up really early hiking in the dark for usually two hours mm-hmm. and again there was a good slope on on the trail and we had this noise we had our head torches on and we both looked to the right and there's a skunk you know literally we're eight foot apart and he's about eight foot from both of us mm-hmm. so there's a little triangle thing going on here and he has his his butt and his face turned towards us and that was you know i stopped breathing i think i thought Oh, shit. Because yeah. you know, we know hikers who have got up in the middle of the night to pee, got out mm-hmm. of their warm tent. The skunk has gone in, thought, hey, this is nice and cozy. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they get in, disturb the skunk, and, you know, that's you have to get rid of everything. Yeah. So I think that was probably the scariest thing. It's just, you know, they're, they're not out there to attack you, really. I think if mm-hmm. you're going to be trying to poke them and get up close and taking selfies and stuff like that, then, you know, it's... Just like somebody trying to do that to you, you or me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, you've just you've got to respect them, mm. you know, and, and and not be necessarily intimidated about it. But you you know where you, the limit is in mm. you know how close you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, starvation is also a real possibility, Olive. How, how how do you cope physically, considering that while your legs grew stronger, your upper body was wasting away because you're walking a marathon length each day and as much as 17 hours per day? I spend a lot of time working out the calorific uh, values and spatial density um, and nutritional uh, content of our foods because mm-hmm. although my husband is now also a vegan, at that point, we were both eating vegan on trail, but he was eating normal food off trail. Mm-hmm. You can't carry enough food for every day. So you have to 
carry as much as you can. And then when you get to town, you have to just eat or graze for that whole time. And it becomes really uncomfortable because your stomach shrinks and you are, your body is craving all this food and you literally can't get it in. So you are eating all the time mm. and then you can't sleep because you're full. But you know that I had to do it. I had to, I had to get all that food in because I'm trying, it's the reserve for me carrying it into the next section. So I think we had about four and a half thousand calories per person per day, which equated to about one and a half kilos of food. Mm-hmm. We also had no stove, so everything was dry, bars, vegan jerky to satisfy um, the savory uh, savory taste. And then I had a mix of cereals that I would, I would add into it. But yeah, you, you, you just will accept that your body is going to start eating itself and it's not going to be forever. At some point, you're finished. And, you know, you can get whatever you want. And that's overwhelming. I know that when we actually finished and within about three hours, we were in San Diego. Mm-hmm. We had booked, got into a hotel, left all of our stuff and walked out. And there was a line of restaurants and it was too much choice. We literally couldn't make a decision where we wanted to eat because for the last seven months, all we did was put our hands in our backpack and ate, mm. you know, the, the food that we had. And we didn't get sick of it. Mm-hmm. And we've used the same food pretty much uh, on the CDT and the other hikes we've done this year. Mm. But it, yeah, you, you just have to accept it. There's no point in getting upset about it. It's that's, you know, the way it is. You'll, but you you see, you actually feel how your body uses the food. You can feel when you take that energy bar, mm. the boost that it gives you. And sometimes when you were, somebody was maybe having a little bit of a more low day or your energy levels are low, it would be, okay, we'll eat this out of order. Let's have one of these now because this is, you know, what we need to get us up this next hill. And it's amazing. Mm. You can, you really feel good quality food and how mm. it feeds your body. Yeah, and over such a extremely long distance as the PCT, uh, scientifically, you've got to work that out, otherwise you could be in a lot of trouble. Now, when you were out there alone, Olive, during that portion of it, a survival mode, I'm pretty sure, will kick in, many would say. Was it the mental or physical fatigue of being alone which was the most difficult to overcome? I don't think it was either. I think there was an element of, what well, you know, should I be doing this? Shouldn't I just wait and see if he's going to get better? Mm-hmm. But then the pull to draw me, you know, to the border and be the, the first person to do this was too strong. I don't, I, physically, we were incredibly strong at that point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the physicality of it was, in fact, it was easy because I would stop less and I would just keep hiking and I would meet people and chat to them. And when I met some northbounders who we had overtaken. And at this stage, the trail, information on the trail is amazing how quickly it goes up and down it. So they would all say, oh, you know, I, I, just congratulations, you're heading you know, south. And mm. they, they were a chimp. And I would always tell them, oh, he's having a comfort break. Because even though I knew my mom wasn't going to be listening mm. to, you know, or looking at other people's blogs and stuff, I was worried that she'd find out that I was hiking by myself and she'd kill me. Um, but she'd still have to catch me. So uh, that, I, I, I think that was one of my concerns most of the time. I told, you know, my siblings when they knew, I said, look, could you make sure she doesn't know? Um, and the mental strength was just to keep going and that he's either going to get back on or he's not. So it's my job to get as far as I can and allow him the time to heal and hopefully he will be able to you know get back on with me Mm. 
Well, November 5th, 2014 rolls around at 195 days, uh, 5,300 miles later, and you back where you started. What was that moment like for you, Olive? It was incredible. About a mile beforehand, I actually stopped. There's actually literally a mile marker like you'd see on a road. <laughs> and I had this moment where I didn't want to finish. I just was... I don't know whether it was I didn't want to finish. I wanted to keep hiking, even though our bodies were, were absolutely ready to stop. But mentally... I didn't want to get back into the real world and get back and do real things. I just, it was so simple. It was sleep, hike, eat, eat and drink, same again, sleep and get back up. You know, it's just, that was what we did. And we saw all this beautiful scenery. And I think I just didn't want to let that go. But anyway, I uh, overcame and, and walked the last mile. It was, it was fantastic. But at the same time, it was quite sad for me because I had lost my dad and mm. I had imagined that he would be standing there when we finished. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, we had had, there was a TV station was trying to catch up with us and I just, I didn't want them to be there because I thought if my dad's not going to be there, mm. you know what, I don't really want anybody to be there. This is just for us. We, you know, we've we've done this and I think it's right that we have a moment and celebrate this for ourselves, for what we've done, for the fact that my husband had struggled for that last 1,700 mm. miles in agony, in injury with, you know, every step he took. Mm. So, it, you know, it was we were just sharing it for ourselves, but it was overwhelming. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I, I still thought, you know, you know, we've just been hiking, you know. It's, <laughs> we were lucky, fortunate enough to make the opportunity for ourselves. Mm. And having done so, we gave it everything that we could. Well, it was truly incredible. And uh, you mentioned it there. You said going back to the real world. And an adventure like this, it's filled with many obstacles physically and mentally to overcome. It can obviously change a person uh, uh, and their mindset. Did this affect you at all? And, and, and what was it like going back to normal life afterwards? It absolutely changes you. And as far as I can see, the majority of the time it, it's, it's, it affects people in a really positive way. Mm-hmm. I constantly think if I'm looking at something, it's do I need it or do I want it? Um, and it goes back to if I can't fit it in my bi- backpack, I don't need it. Um, you do see excess and that say in the Western world, people are trying to sell you stuff and mm. you, you gather all of this and you, it, you don't own it. It owns you. So, I think less is definitely more. You know, it's, so that's one of the biggest things that you, know, you see in most, um, I think, through hikers and, and people. But there definitely is an adjustment because you stop hiking. You're not outdoors anymore. Mm. We finished, it was late it was November into December, so you're in wintertime in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's, you, you miss the serotonin, all those endorphins, mm. and you know you you can get depressed. And unfortunately, after lo- the, some of these long distance trails, we do lose, lose hikers because they're not actually able to readjust into mm. what people consider is, is normal life. And unless you've done it, you don't understand what they mean. Mm. It's you know, and from the outside, people don't see that you're any any different because you've changed back into your jeans and your normal clothes, mm-hmm. and they just think you're just a normal person going about your day but inside you've experienced all this beauty you've your body has been put through the mill and you want that you nearly want the pain because it makes you feel alive Mm. 
Very so it does, yeah. and and luckily, sorry, luckily because as a couple, we can both help ourselves with yeah. that, and we can see, mm. you know, if somebody's having a um, a bad day afterwards. Yeah, having that support. Unfortunately for you, having Daryl there by your side, it makes things just a little bit more easier when it comes to adjusting. Well. Olive, four years later, you and Daryl, you pack up your bags again and you recently took on the Continental Divide Trail. Could you share with our listeners where exactly this hiking route is and how long did this one take to complete? So this one is pretty much in, it's, it's, not, it's just off central of the middle. It goes up through the Rockies and the States. Mm-hmm. So it goes through New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, a little bit of Idaho and then into Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, scenery again is spectacular. Um, we just finished in Glacier National Park, uh, trying to avoid the fires that were there yeah, <laughs> this wow. year, so. which seems to be in, it in the last couple of years. We've had so many of them. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite unusual in that the trail has a number of alternates. So it ranges, I think, from anywhere from 2,600 miles to about 3,000. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we had, in fact, intended to yo-yo the, the trail, but I picked up a number of injuries early on, mm-hmm. and it just became, we knew that, you know, it, I didn't want to give in, and I didn't want to tell myself that we couldn't do it, but yet at some point in the hike, it became, mm-hmm. uh, we became aware that we weren't going to be able to turn around. So, uh, and then uh, having developed more injuries, we were just worried about actually being able to, to complete mm-hmm. it. So again, it goes through lots of areas where the trail is not marked or defined very well. We had a number of reroutes because of the fires. Mm-hmm. The whole of New Mexico is incredibly dry. I think they were they only got forty or forty five percent of their snowpack this year. So mm-hmm. water certainly was a huge problem mm-hmm. in that first section. Then we had to deal with early fires in Colorado and Colorado Ure above 11,000 feet for probably six, 700 miles. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a, a lot more altitude than there was in the PCT. PCT would get, we would go up to a pass and drop back down again to about 10,000. Mm-hmm. Certainly on the CDT, the Continental Divide Trail, you would climb up to 13, above 13,000 feet and, and maybe drop back down to 11 and a half. And it was tough. We, we definitely struggled with that. It did slow us down. Mm-hmm. But the... The tagline for the CDP is actually embrace the brutality, and boy, we certainly did this year. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty tough. Yeah, you you mentioned the the injuries, uh, Olive, and uh, on the PCT, you you came out relatively unscathed from that one, despite the length of it. What was it about uh, the CDT that made you pick up a little bit more injuries, and what were some of those? Possibly we overtrained in that mm-hmm. this time last year we flew to New Zealand and hiked the Teoroa Trail, which is about 3,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Felt really strong. We were mountain goats on that trail, and it's really rough and rugged and a lot of elevation change, although not at the same altitudes as we would have just experienced on the CDT. Mm. Then we had a couple of weeks off, went to Florida, which is flat, but we blasted out that trail doing sometimes up to 40 miles a day Mm. and i think possibly yeah it was just it was overuse and within 600 miles on the cdt although in fact we were flying and we were about two and a half days ahead of our schedule i found all the tiniest muscles in my right butt cheek to pull and i just couldn't do three and a half miles an hour i I was Mm struggling at two and a half and I was using my um, pacer poles to actually pull my body forward to try and 
get that extra half a mile. And I thought I could walk it up, as you do. Uh, I couldn't. We had a, we got into town half day early, had the rest of the day off, took another day, another day. And then I thought, OK, just, you know, I can't do this. Just let me hike it, hike on it. And again, after a day and a half, I had to get up trail. And I think we had 11 days where I was getting all sorts of treatment. And that's where I could see the border slipping away from me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it got better, but it just wasn't give it, getting there. And I said, look, I'm going to hike on it. And bizarrely enough, that night, it, I, I actually woke up, my husband turned and he said, what are you doing? I said, it's, it's gone. You know, I think it's 80% better. Uh, all I needed to do was hike on it. Unfortunately, a couple of weeks later, I developed a groin injury, which I actually carried for the last 1,800 miles. Wow. I had broken a toe while we were hiking in New Zealand, mm-hmm. not on trail. And I broke another one just here. I actually stabbed it twice with my hiking pole by trying to stop myself being blown off a ridgeline. Wow. And that, as it set in my shoes in a new position, I developed a corn on it, which I just couldn't get rid of. And the pain of that in the last two weeks, in fact, had we not had that border to get to, I probably would have stopped. I was in that much pain. (laughs) But stubbornness and craziness and certainly embraced brutality is what <laughs> dragged me to the finish line. You mentioned at the start, you, you don't think you're as hardcore as some of the other people we've had on this podcast. What you said right there puts you in that category without a doubt, Olive. Now, when you look back at both the trails of the, the, the CDT now you did recently and as well as the PCT, do they have the same sort of lessons you take away from them or did they each come with their own set of values and, and, and learnings? I think they're very similar. It's just little nuances in the trail, in the conditions, extra elevation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you've, my dad would say everything is a learning day. So yeah, you have to take something out of each one. And it's up on about two or three weeks before we finished, I kind of thought, I don't want to step on this trail again because I was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. But um, I think you just have to look at each one and certainly when you finish, look back at it mm-hmm. and see you know, how you did, you know, how your hike went, what you did, what you, what you would do differently. Mm. And there are certainly things that, having just done the CDT, that we would do differently. But I look back on the PCT and think, no, we pretty much did everything the way we needed to, mm-hmm. the way we wanted to, and it all worked out. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's, I think there are definitely lessons to learn mm. on each trail. Again, it's the New Zealand trail, there'd be things that we would do differently. Yeah. Well, finally, Olive... Now you're going to give your body, obviously, a bit of time to rest. But after that, what's next for you and Daryl? And, and and do you think you'll ever go back to hike the PCT and the CDT again? I think I would love to go back and hike the PCT. And I certainly think we probably will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It has been my favorite hike, not just, I think, because of the yo-yo, but... I just think this it, the scenery was just spectacular and I would definitely, you know, rush to go back there. But I see that while we've been hiking, uh, there's a new trail being kind of put together in Chile that's, I think, just over 3,000 kilometers, about 3,000 kilometers. I think it starts down the bottom in Turtle Vega. So, yeah, I think, you know, that might be, we might give that one, have a little look at it and see what happens. Although that's a dangerous thing. It's, look at something and go, Okay, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) 
Well, Olive, the road is wide open and up ahead there's always another trail as you just mentioned there. Your story of being bold though, stepping out of your comfort zone and, and scaring yourself is absolutely remarkable. Thank you for sharing your amazing experiences with us on the Hard as Nails podcast and we wish you all the best for that next big adventure. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a pleasure.